Good evening and welcome to episode five of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast that is dedicated to combining beer consumption and beer rating with financial market commentary. My name is Boan Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkring. Sam, how are you doing today? Good evening. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm great. I, uh, I'm looking forward to our fifth episode and uh, y- you know, who knows what direction it's going to take tonight. Yeah, this time around we've not uh, we've not done much uh, much rehearsal. We've not had any discussion as to what we will be uh, going on with uh, in today's episode. But uh, it has been a quite an interesting week in the market so far. I mean, uh, last time I checked, it looks like the SPX, the uh, the S and P, is roughly flat on the week. Uh, FTSE has suddenly been uh, going down a fair bit, uh, and uh, in uh, in China, of course, we've had this incredible speculative surge on the mainland, which the has uh, only been only been mildly echoed in in Hong Kong. What what's your what have you been looking at, Sam? Tell me. Uh, yeah, so I've been uh, the last was I think it was yesterday or it might have been the day before the U.S. markets had a had a bit of a field day. Um, I think it was um, what what caught my eye was when Virgin Galactic was up like twenty percent for the day. Um, yeah, it was so on the open on Thursday, um, but they closed Wednesday at like sixteen and a half dollars, and by like early morning um, on Thursday, it was you know punching up towards like nineteen dollars fifty, getting close to twenty dollars uh, by the end of the day, and I was like. Okay, that that just tells me everything that I need to know about what's going on with the U.S. markets. Because here's a here's a space company that is this you know just looking to to send people into space, um, and you know it it doesn't doesn't really make any money yet. Doesn't really send anyone into space yet. Doesn't actually really have any active um, uh, uh, pods, devices, ships yet. Um, with a valuation of about four billion U.S. dollars, um, that's up. You know double digits in a day and and it's kind of like yep that's 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 the u.s summed up in 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 one stock in one day it's just bonkers really that thing sure does uh ping around uh it's yeah that's been such an incredibly volatile uh instrument uh you know it wasn't when it first when it first came to market, but then after after a little while, it suddenly got hugely volatile. It must have uh, you know uh, you know acquired an awful lot of interest. Maybe after Elon Musk did something with SpaceX, because there are so few uh, sort of pure plays on space. I mean, we 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 know a yeah. few between each other, but there are very few pure plays on the space sector. So yeah, you know, even if uh, so what somebody wants to do is invest in space because they've seen something that SpaceX has done. If the only yeah. avenue for them to speculate on that is through uh, through the Virgin Galactic uh, model, you know, you know, if the only if the only way they can get any exposure is through that, I guess that's what they'll uh, what they'll go for. But it yeah, does it's, actually. It's, uh, I was going to say it's a bit like the character. Tesla of space, right? Because y- 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 as you say, you know, remember the early sort of days, a couple of years back now, when Tesla was you know crazy volatile, but you know going nuts, and they they hadn't really delivered anything, right? And they, 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 they were missing production schedules, but the stock was still going crazy because speculators was kind of like their only pure EV play into the market uh, at that point in time. And so, you know, I think Virgin has sort of hallmarks of that. You know, it's not, it's not the worst company in the world, I might add. I remember running the, the numbers on it a little while ago about their proposed number of seats sold and all that sort of um, business as to what their sort of projected um, earnings and potential profits could be um, when they first listed and you know it's not it's not not a crazy company really but the volatility in it's just yeah a bit bonkers really yeah well i think we're we're definitely barking up the right tree here because it does actually tie in with the first of our beers that it we're does. going to go through today <laughs> uh, it, it is uh, it seems to be almost subconscious we've managed to get here but yeah the this is a this is a beer called termination shock by a brewing company called gravity well bruco and it has a very space you know space age very sort of space like label very colorful i'm guessing it's showing some kind of aurora or one of these you know intergalactic gas clouds that uh you a know, solar system i believe right yeah. do, do you know do you know do you actually know what the what termination shock means no can you enlighten me yeah okay so termination shock is it's kind of like the um the end of the solar system right so oh, right yeah, so once you, when you reach termination shock, you effectively exit the solar system and are 
uh, outside of, of that solar system and moving into the more, I guess, I suppose, open universe. Because I remember, oh, I can't remember the satellite. It might have been one of the Voyager satellites. Um, reasonably recently, I think, went, um, went, went through termination shock, went past termination shock. So it right, entered our solar right. system. And it was like one of the first, I think it was one of those deep space satellites that, 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 that was sent out, I think, by NASA. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's, it's now the furthest thing from Earth, obviously outside of other solar systems and so forth, but the first, furthest thing we've ever sent out into space. And it's just continuing to get further and further away. I think it was, I think it was Voyager 1. That would make sense. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what termination shock actually means. Um, and the label on, grav, on, on the Gravity Well Termination Shock Pale Ale, just, it's delightful because it, it, it is that, it's that cosmic, yeah, like you say, gas, nebula, you know, solar system style um, thing that you often see in, in space movies. And, you know, when I start thinking about space and the universe and, and all of that, it, it, starts to, it starts to bend one's mind into all sorts of uh, gymnastic poses, I suppose. Well, just like alcohol, I suppose. Uh, this is a uh, this <laughs> is a pale ale we'll be having drunk a, on uh, space with 5.3 percent abv here uh have you you've had you've had a sip already sam you want to give us a uh, a breakdown yeah so i I'm, I'm already thoroughly enjoying this um it's definitely got a few of those sort of grapefruit kind of notes to it um uh you know that that very much sort of light kind of uh, almost sour style fruits very citrusy i suppose in that sense um and it also does it, it, it it's got so when i do i do do a little bit of cheating on this and that the label itself uh talks about gooseberries um I, i'm not a gooseberry connoisseur so i'm not 100 percent down with that but um white wine fruitiness and i definitely picked that up it, it's it's got it's definitely got a bit of um that sort of green grape uh white wine so it's sort of i think tinge to it i'd almost say i I probably have got a better um idea of talking about wines than beers but um it's definitely (laughs) something more like a sort of uh almost like a pinot grigio style taste to it but uh very refreshing uh and enjoying thus far uh termination shock what about you have you had a decent sip of it now yeah, I have. I have indeed. I think this is probably one of the uh, one of the first beers we reviewed on here that kind of does taste its strength. I mean, it does taste mm. like five point three percent. I would say, um, but no, very uh, very refreshing. It's uh, very hazy. You couldn't see through to the other side of it by any by any stretch. But um, it fails the it finger is, test. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't taste like really really heavy. Actually, no, a, no, not at all. Good, but quite quite nice and light. I would say. Um, yeah, pretty pretty refreshing. I think we're uh, we're probably uh, going down the same uh, sort of batting down the same kind of route here with the space side. There's actually something I'll be uh, I I think I'm going to be writing a bit more about uh, in the near future. Uh, interestingly, this uh, this uh, brewery is another British brewery, so this is from Gravity Well, as uh, previously described. But they're actually based in on the outskirts of London, uh, which is which is quite interesting. And this one, um, and Sam, this was one of your. Uh, this is one of your picks this time. Uh, we're, we're, we're through with my batch that I picked last time around. Uh, this is one of yours. Um, in terms of uh, looking, at, looking at that space side, uh, you know, on the, in the investing in the final frontier, you know, got all that mm. romantic uh, sort of, uh, all those romantic images you can associate with it. Uh, one of the things I've, uh, I've found interesting is, as we said, there's not many, uh, not many stocks that are pure, pure plays on space. And you know, back in the Cold War kind of period, when there was the big space race and when NASA uh, was uh, set up and everything, and there were all of these contractors who were uh, you know, building all of these parts for NASA and the like. Uh, and there was way more publicly listed companies, interestingly. You know, the, you know, the, the actual raw number of publicly listed equities has been in decline for a very long time due to the yeah. rise of private equity uh, and private placements uh, and all, all that kind of thing. So I remember there's, a, there's actually a company I really wish I'd owned stock in back in the day, uh, which was uh, called the Marquardt Corporation. And it was such a, such a pure play. The only thing that they really made, at least in their heyday, was um, the small rocket boosters for adjusting spacecraft uh, mid-flight. That was their right. only thing. It was these tiny, uh, yeah, know, the inter- little... you know, 
off um, yeah. Yeah, just these time sort of modification rockets. Uh, and they were publicly listed. And so, if, you know, if you, were, if you were really wanting to sort of speculate on the space race back in the day, you could have just bought shares <laughs> in Markwart. But these days, it's, uh, it's a lot harder. What, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, it is. It, it like to like you said, you know, pure play space stocks just don't really exist. I mean, aside from Virgin Galactic, there's not really anything. It, it, at least in terms of, I think the kind of space that most people, most investors, really think of. Like when people think about space, they think about going into space, about you know potentially the commercialization of space, like space tourism or space travel. Um, sending a you know big old rocket up into space to go to the international space station things like that so like you know they think of spacex and they think of you know maybe a virgin galactic and they maybe think of blue origin now um bezos is sort of a uh, space company as well right and you know i i would think that at some point soon that spacex is going to publicly list because the capital that they could get access to could send that thing you know the acceleration of what they're trying to do could just you know put that on steroids so imagine what spacex is going to do if they go public um just wild, just yeah. just just sheerly from you know the the kind of um, punters that are getting involved in the market at the moment but so that's a sort of separate story but you're right you know i remember a couple of years back um you know when i first sort of started getting into uh the publishing game and, and with what we do with south bank research and, and what i used to do with portfolio publishing is that um you know there was a i remember tipping a stock called orbital sciences uh corporation you know they made uh rockets basically rocket systems um for for the space industry and they 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 merged um with another company called alliant tech systems uh, they became Orbital ATK. Um, there was, you know, stuff with missile defense systems. And, and then ATK, um, I think, became a part of Northrop or something. So there's yeah, a lot correct. of, you know. Orbital ATK, yeah. Yeah, a lot, of, um, a lot of acquisition, a lot of mergers, a lot of consolidation in the space. Because you're right, it sort of went from having, you know, a lot of this opportunity to being somewhat stymied after 2008 because there just wasn't a lot of government spending in that space and it it wasn't really a private sort of sector either but really when we now think about space and we think about it now becoming less of a government sort of pushed and and, and motivated uh industry and now becoming more private because of the likes of spacex and virgin galactic and blue origin and um, you know, uh, ComSat, so communication satellites being launched by by private networks and companies. You know, even Google and Facebook and um, those sorts of companies are, are putting satellites into space for for modern communication systems. So, you know, the expansion of what space means and what we think about it from an investment point of view really needs to change as well because it's not about rockets so much as it's about things like satellites debris managing space debris um you know uh, space ablation you know pushing stuff space lasers believe it or not all that kind of stuff is is now part of the bigger thing and as well as going to mars and you know the next generation of um uh, space shuttle that, that the US continues to develop and all those sorts of things. So it's pretty damn cool because, you know, I'd love to live in a sort of Star Trekky style world where, you know, we can just planet hop, but it's not happening in our lifetime. I don't think Boaz, but the, but the foundations for it are certainly being laid. Hmm. Did you see that movie Ad Astra with Brad Pitt? Yes, I did. Shocking movie, except for that great scene where they're shooting at each other um, in, from the, the lunar rover star vehicles. Yeah, no, that, was, was, that was exactly what I was going to go for. The, the <laughs> yeah. moon pirates. The moon yeah, pirates that's right. scene. Yeah, mm. that, was, that was pretty sick. The, uh, it was interesting to see the, uh, the branding of all these you know, shops. It was like they had a subway, I think, on the moon, which I thought was uh, pretty hilarious. It looked, I, lo I love the, uh, the aesthetic of it. It was pretty good. Um, I was interested yes. to see, uh, you know, some people have suggested that you could mine the moon for helium three, this form of helium that is not, uh, is not, you know, it's very, very uh, rare in, in terms of its, uh, in terms of its, uh, you know, how, how, uh, you know, abundant it is here in the UK. Uh, and so some people were saying that, you know, we could, we could go to the moon and, you know, the moon is full of this stuff. We could just harvest the moon of the helium three 
uh, and it could then be used as some form of energy source if memory if memory serves which i think was uh, maybe some fantastical thinking but when you think of um you know on the you, you, as you say i mean there is much more sort of commercial activity around space these days telecoms is such a uh, yeah. you know telecoms with using using um you know space um well satellites mostly for the for their um, broadcast and the like uh, has sort of taken over the space, but there is still, I mean, it's still sort of a national security thing. It was only, uh, you know, it's only pretty much this year that uh, Space Force, the US Space Force, was actually launched, um, mm -hmm. and it shows that interestingly, what I found, uh, what I found interesting from that was when the space race first started in the first Cold War, they, um, it was a, it was a deliberate, conscious decision to create NASA as a public civilian space agency. Uh, as opposed to a military one, so there was a uh, you know there was a fork in the road, and they were thinking, well, should we militarize our space force? Should it be a um, you know they're really thinking of creating landmines actually on the moon, uh, yeah, and yeah. you know creating all of this uh, weaponry that could be used in space and make it a military endeavor, uh, but they deliberately chose to go down the NASA route, and this time around they're clearly not following that path really as much, so they're clearly much more open to the military. Uh, side of it in the you know from the states at least uh, from the states perspective at least they want they want to go down that that military path with its own uniform and uh, you know its own uh, they've got they they have a name for their own units now um, all manner of uh, interesting interesting uh, sort of dreams of you know from the first Cold War that are now being pulled pulled over uh, into the present do you know that the, when the Soviets because uh, they had you know they of course, they had a gigantic space program, but you know they had a they had a they were fine about militarizing space in general. So they you know they had a military space station that had a a twenty millimeter cannon, uh, you know lot you know on the back of it just in case they were going to have you know there's going to be a big shootout in space and they'd blow up some of these uh, American astronauts. I didn't know that, but I am I correct in also thinking that is it true that. That they when when NASA or when the US used to send astronauts into space, or even if they still do, that they actually also send them up with a uh, effectively a military issue sidearm. I'm I'm not familiar with that. I the uh, I feel yeah, like I've heard I, I that would, somewhere before. That would that would be interesting. I must say, I, I yeah I'm, I'm not I'm not sure if that, I'm not I'm not sure if that one's correct. The thing with the the Soviet thing, the cosmonaut. I didn't side. make it up. I have. I think I've heard it somewhere. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow this up after the show, and I'm gonna see if I can find out where I heard that, and I'm gonna put it on our Twitter feed. So if so, everyone that's watching, everyone that's listening, sorry, keep an eye on the Twitter feed, and I'm going yeah. to try and 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 find out where I heard that from. Just in case you know some cosmonauts emerge out of nowhere trying to take over the craft, you can you know yeah, it can be a, a shootout on the ISS. Yeah, yeah. yeah be, <laughs> you know the uh, the Russians claimed because uh, you know how the Americans after they um, they stopped the space shuttle program, um, yeah, and missions to the ISS, and so it's only Soyuz craft they can get there. The Russians <laughs> claimed that uh, there was a hole in the ISS that they couldn't account for. Uh, after the Americans left, like they'd sabotaged it on their way out because you know, <laughs> they couldn't use it anymore. Um, that thing with the uh, with the cannon that they had on the back of the military uh, space station, uh, you know, for shooting down American craft and the like, they only fired it once, and that was after it was. So they fired it remotely. It was after the uh, the the um, that space station had entered uh, that sort of terminal orbital decay so it was going it was going to, to crash into earth they were like well why don't we just shoot this thing just to see what would happen so uh, and the, so they fired it off a few times and uh, the vibration was apparently really really strong but it was it, everything did function you could shoot one of these things in space um and it, yeah when you think of that route and you think of sort of what space force and what it might lead to you know your imagination go wild with the kind of crazy crazy things crazy weaponry they might be uh, they might be coming up with well, in the future. You know, it's interesting you speak about shooting stuff in space because China also, um, I believe, is alleged to have intentionally destroyed one of their own satellites in space. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was in 2007, was it? Yeah, I think so. In order to test a missile system. Yeah, and showing it off, yeah. Yeah, it, it created so much space junk. Um, that it really has become quite like, so the so the issues again when we talk about space and, and the sorts of different industry that we talk about with that um, space junk is is crazy it's yeah. it's a real concern for um, people launching or companies launching satellites into space for communications and even rockets going to ISS 
things like that. So, you know, you've got to imagine that if, you know, again, in the zero gravity environment, when something gets moving, um, you know, there's, there's no resistance. It continues to move at said speed until there's some other force that either propels it forward faster or slows it down uh, or alters its course. So, you know, with that sort of, there's a lot of space junk out there and there's a lot of companies looking at how to manage space junk, get rid of space junk, whether it's big nets or whether it's using lasers to push um, some of the larger junk further out into space. So it ends up kind of like Voyager and, and you know, pushing out past termination shock and into some, some other universe's problem. Yeah, it's probably like some, um, you know how like in, I think is it uh, the Pacific Ocean, there's like a floating island of rubbish yeah, um, yeah. you know just somewhere out in the universe there'll be this alien solar system and there'll just be this earth island earth planet of space junk that we've just pushed out to somewhere else and that will be the start of of um universal wars i believe right yeah so, so, <laughs> some other universe's problem some other universe's problem which is i think how the americans approach china in general um some other universe's problem we'll just dish it off somewhere else i think the uh yeah, so the Chinese did that um, in the in the late 2000s memory reserves. I think the Indians did that as well to show off their their missile tech, uh, but it was a little later. And I believe, if memory serves, it was uh, lower in lower orbit the the satellite that they blew up, so it didn't create as much space junk. Um, but that is something. I mean, it really is just showing off a, you know a missile system because it was a really small satellite that they blew up. So showing how precise their uh, their, their guided missiles could be. Uh, when you know the, these things are orbiting the Earth, and you, know, the, you can imagine the, the amount of trigonometry and the, the mass required would be uh, it really quite quite impressive if you're trying to hit one of these things uh, from from here on Earth. But it's something that you know this is going this is going to be it's seen now as a domain of warfare now. So uh, you know there's going to yeah, be all manner of wild and wacky stuff that's going to happen in the future. I think I think you're right. I think it's going to be it's going to be two ways to play space from an investment point of view. Is it's definitely going to be the defence uh, and and military side of things. So you know you're going to be companies like Northrop and um, you know Boeing, Lockheed, those sorts of companies that develop aviation systems and and the kind of weaponry and and so forth that's used for um, for space and and militarising space. And then there's obviously they're going to be the commercialisation side of things. So whether it be you know space tourism. Uh, whether it be SATCOM, um, whether it be um, you know everything else, was ship, shipping goods to the ISS, you know they may very well build another international space station, or just you know America might just decide to build their own space station, whether it be on the moon or whether it be sort of you know orbiting the Earth. Um, so don't rule that sort of thing out as well in terms of the construction and the you know the, the necessarily. Um, resources that, that need to go into that and then obviously there's mars and the potential colonization or landing on mars you know all these sorts of things seem a little bit science fictiony still but most real big leaps in technology and human advancement do seem science fictiony at some point in time and we're a resourceful bunch um, us humans we're very intelligent and capable of doing some pretty amazing things so while it's, it may still appear a bit science fictiony to investors i think you know you know for somebody like me in sort of my mid thirties thinking about space as an investment opportunity, you know, my time horizon on that is really about 30 years, you know, as I start to then head towards, you know, my sixties and retirement. And I think that's a reasonable time frame to be thinking that, okay, while we're sort of laying the season, the foundations for it now, by the time I get to that age in the next 30 years, it's going to be a booming industry. I, I have no doubt about that because of the foundations and the and the money, the human, the the financial capital being put into it today. So, you know, I'm I think it's a great, it's exciting, it's sexy. Um, you know, space is one of those kind of cool unknowns that most people will never go into, um, but we all want to sort of be involved in our own way, and and I think that's a really cool way to play it. Yeah, I look at it actually from almost the complete opposite view in terms of, you know, while while sharing all of the um, all of the awe that comes with space. To me, the I'm I'm sort of thinking about it from a uh, from the narrative perspective where just imagine the speculative fervor and frenzy that would uh, come around SpaceX if it did come to market. Like even just yeah. imagine for any company that could uh, that has a vision that it can sell to investors. 
Um, even if they don't have, you know, earnings don't seem to matter anymore for these companies that can get gigantic <laughs> valuations, right? Let alone a working product, let alone a working service. Just imagine one that has, you know, kind of a sexy name. Uh, it's got a relatively charismatic CEO. Uh, he manages to get lots of media appearances. He's maybe, uh, you know, maybe slightly quirky or something, but they pitch these really, you know, aggressive ideas and they, they can sell uh, you know, sell people on this idea that space exploration is really going to really going to come soon. I just imagine the kind of earnings multiples this thing could trade yeah, at. Yeah, that's got true. In early before the mania, how enriching that could be, provided you, you sold out before the thing crashed. Uh, like I look at it on sort of from the other side, but just the narrative here. It's such a sexy story yeah. that it could be, um, you know, just a gigantic boom and maybe a bust. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, that's, that's, you know, investors got to be careful of that booms and busts. Uh, so let's, let's, let's move on to our next beer. But before we do that, uh, maybe get your thoughts and a rating of our yeah. uh, convoluted and complex, but insanely appropriate uh, booze, booms and busts uh, inverse investment grade rating system. Uh, so what do you think of Gravity Well Brewing Co's Termination Shock Pale Ale? Yeah, it is uh, Gravity Well. Hmm. Yeah, I've had a few of their beers before, uh, and uh, they've uh, they've all been positive experiences so far. I must say, uh, Termination Shock is, um, I would say, it is you know nice and crisp, nice, uh, nice and refreshing. It does have there are, there are some interesting sort of subtle flavors, but generally speaking, uh, it's not it's not going crazy out there with taste and things like that. Uh, and it is uh, it does sort of taste its strength, so it's punching its own weight. It's not being very deceptive. Uh, even though it's got a really crazy label, I think it kind of does do what it says on tin when it says it's a pale ale. Uh, so yeah. I think this is very, uh, it's a very fair beer. I think I could drink several of these. Uh, I think uh, on our rating system, which uh, for anyone listening uh, new, it runs from triple B being the top, as that is our acronym here at Booze, Booms and Busts, running all the way down to triple A. So that's triple B to double B to single B to single A to double A to triple A in terms of, uh, you know, from the very best to, to utter, uh, you know, disgusting motor oil beer. Uh, so, so with that, no one has managed to get a triple B here so far. And it would be quite exceptional if we did manage to encounter one because they are very rare. Uh, yes. But I'm sure we will actually if we carry on with this podcast. For this, however, I would rate this. I rate this beer a B plus. I think it is a uh, uh, a very decent beer. Uh, it's nothing nothing crazy, nothing spectacular, but a very decent beer. What would you rate it, Sam? Yes, so uh, I agree. It's a very decent beer. It's very easy to drink. Uh, I could I could quite happily have a couple of these. Like you say, it it feels like it punches right at that five point three percent level, but it it's also not crazy heavy. So don't you know you're not really I'm not really feeling it in the gut that you do with some of the sort of heavier style beers. Um, I could drink that. I could comfortably drink that all day long. Um, but having said that, you know it doesn't also leap out and off the uh, out of the pint glass and say you know this is one of the finest beers i've ever had so uh, i think i agree with you on that one and and you know it's actually reasonably rare looking at the ratings that i've i've noted down that we do end up agreeing on a beer but i'm going to give this a b plus as well so so that's both of us with termination shock with a b plus oh very good now our, our next beard <laughs> our next, next beard, beard. Here, I, that's interesting I uh, yeah, I said beard because uh, I was just reading off the label. It's because it's by Weird Beard Bruco. So our next beard is uh, is a beer called the Dodo, uh, which is a double dry hopped pale ale. So extra hoppy goodness in this one. Uh, I have had many beers from Weird Beard before, uh, though they do. I'm used to normally having them out of cans. Uh, they, uh, sorry, out of bottles rather than cans. I, I haven't seen actually many large cans of Weird Beard before. So this is actually uh, quite an interesting experience. Uh, but yeah, the dodo and this bite weird beard. What do you look, what do you make of it, Sam? Uh, well, at the moment, I, I quite like the name weird beard. I want to meet the. Uh, I would assume. I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume that the weird beard uh, people are blokes, because <laughs> you know, you would assume so. But I want to know what the weird beard brew code, the name, the origins of that name, because somebody has clearly had some sort of weird beard to enable that name and and it's got me thinking of the weirdest beard i've probably ever seen and i'm i'm (laughs) I'm struggling to come up with something that i would classify as weird although i I do know i remember i might have been last christmas or it might have been the christmas before um when 
you know, just a little bit of quick backstory. I've basically had a beard and grow a beard since 2004. So before it became cool for the hipster kids to do so. Um, but a couple of years back when, when beards became all the rage with top knots and all that sort of thing, um, there was, there was that whole thing where people were putting tinsel and, and whatnot in their beard. And I found that to be one of the weirdest beard trends I'd seen. That is great. Time. That is great. Yeah. I, I struggled with that one. Somebody said to me once, cause I, cause I usually grow mine a little bit longer during the winter to keep, uh, my skin from flaring up. Uh, sensitive skin kid here um and and someone said oh you should you should put some tinsel and some some stuff in your beard for christmas and it was at that point i walked out of the room and said keep yeah. your beard ideas to yourself i mean what, what what are your weirdest beard experiences you've had i think the weirdest beard experience i have is probably uh probably the beard i've got right now i must say um, <laughs> i don't know i don't know if I, i've mentioned it on uh, on previous podcasts but our uh, our friend and colleague Kit Winder challenged me to uh, to uh, well, I challenged an entire group of us at South Bank, in fact, uh, just when lockdown began, to uh, to um, you know see how long uh, you could grow your beard and grow your hair out, um, and you'd only have to and you, you know you could only get a haircut when lockdown ended, right? So you know this is this was back in uh, way back in March, uh, in ye olden <laughs> days. Uh, when we were actually pretty much, you know, it was the first couple of days after a lockdown had officially began, and um, yeah, and I was I was completely down for it because I've uh, I've grown I've had a beard uh, quite a lot before, but uh, I didn't really know exactly, you know, I didn't think it really lockdown was gonna gonna last this long, and uh, anyway, so I haven't shaved since then, uh, apart from trimming my mustache, of course, and uh, and what I've got now is probably is the longest uh, longest beard I've, I've ever had. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty strange to have it, I must say. Kit Winder, of course, you know, just, you know, he suckered out real early. So, I mean, he, he didn't last long at oh, all before he, he tapped before, out before too, before so. shave. Yeah, and, and he had a haircut as well. He, he had that done at home. Oh, um, you know, he you know, gave himself no. a buzz cut. Uh, well, myself, I, you know, my, my hair's probably not, never been longer. And, uh, and I've got this, this beard thing going on. So, I'm really going for that sort of Neanderthal chic look. Uh, at the moment, and I think that'd probably be my uh, my weird beard experience, mate. I, I think so. Long as you don't put it in a top knot, then we can continue with this podcast. <laughs> I, th I think I think that's the key thing to take away from this. Yeah, quite. You, quite. you know what? It's, so speaking of beards, right? So I used to. Um, my wife used to be a hairdresser, so for a start, I'm always kind of I've got I've got the grooming on tap when I need it. But yeah, for mate, a while like there. Yeah, well, for a while there, I, I, before lockdown, I, I thought I'd support some local industry. And I used to head to the, to a, there was a men's barber uh, up at my local high street that did, uh, you know, men's, men's barbing, as they do. Barbings, what you call it. And used to get my beard trimmed there as well. And, uh, and, and they were, you know, fantastic uh, little operation going there. Um, but sort of what I've noticed more recently, um, particularly with, coming out of lockdown is that hairdressers now appear to be more like hospitals. So I was driving past a hairdressers uh, probably last night, I think it was. And uh, so all, all of the, the hairdressers in there, I've got um, aprons, you know, like a, a hospital gowns on, like you would, you would see somebody maybe walking into surgery. Um, the, the plastic face masks, um, covering their sort of like a like a transparent welding mask on top of their head, as well yeah. as the face mask um, over their mouth as well. And I was thinking to myself, that does not look like a relaxing experience anymore. And I, you know, I've I, I think I've got a lot of uh, sympathy for people that own and operate small businesses like hairdressers now, as we come out of lockdown, because they have now got to go through the absolute ringer just to keep their business open. And it's almost a shame is because, you know, for a lot of people going to the hairdresser or to the you know, salon or barber or whatever, used to be an enjoyable, relaxing experience where you would get, you know, your hair done or, or whatever it might be, your beard trimmed. And you come out and you feel good, you feel relaxed, you've, you know, had a little bit of pampering and so forth. But I just get the feeling now that at the moment with the way that everything's sort of been imposed and restricted on small business like, you know, whether it be nail bars or, whether it be um, you know makeup artists or salons or anything like that, is that they're really being kicked up the backside 
um, with, with, I think, over-the-top uh, restrictions on what they do just in order to serve customers um, and try and keep their business operating. I mean, I understand, obviously, with everything that's gone on, that there need to be extra, you know, more cautious measures put in place. But it just seems to me that it's unfair on these 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 businesses, and it's really making, it's it's put the whole industry around healthcare and beauty on the back foot. And I wonder just how long it's going to remain like that. Because if it's if it drags out for another year, eighteen months, I think we're going to see an even bigger shock to the economy. Um, around that and it's uh, it's kind of concerning yeah yeah it is interesting to see the kind of um sort of compromises people are making when they're trying to run businesses uh yeah you know when they're being brave and bold enough to open their businesses pretty early and try and get things back to normal um i'm not sure have you been to any any pubs yet sam uh, you know what? I haven't. Um, when the pubs opened, was it last weekend that the pubs opened? Yeah, last was, weekend. Wasn't yeah. It? Uh, I've, I've not had a chance to get there. Although I have booked dinner with my wife uh, at our local pub. Uh, Grandma Babysitter has been organized and it is time to get a proper pulled pint at the pub. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll certainly let you know how that goes. Um, what okay. I also realized is while we, while I sort of went off on a random tangent there about um, small business and salons, so I forgot to give some uh, actual initial thoughts on the Dodo um, beer that weird that the weird beard Bruco uh, we are drinking at the moment. As 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 everyone that listens, always continuing to listen to us knows is that we usually open the beer, give a bit of initial thought, talk about some random stuff, and then come back to our rating at the end. Um, and I haven't said what I think, and this is actually a really, really nice beer. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm getting some, some light sort of lemon almost, uh, tinges out of this. It certainly feels like a lighter, um, alcohol content than, uh, the termination shock, which it is. This is a 4.6%. Um, but it's, it's quite, uh, yeah, as I said, it's quite light, um, getting a little bit more of the citrusy out of that as well. Um, and it's it, again, it, I think you're right. It, in this sense, it certainly plays to the alcohol uh, percentage that, that it has. So, yeah. yeah, so far, initial initial thoughts are quite positive on the dodo. Yeah, I must say, this is incredibly smooth, uh, an mm. incredibly smooth beer. I know what you're talking about where it tastes kind of citrusy. Uh, yeah, it's almost like it's almost like a rattler, almost tastes like a rattler yes. to me, uh, but just incredibly smooth. Uh, I like, I don't think this tastes straight out like this. This could be two percent for all I, for all I know. It goes down incredibly smooth, and is it even though it's double dry hopped? Doesn't actually taste all that dry or all that hoppy. It's just this kind of sort of interesting sweet kind of taste. Uh, but no, very nice indeed. Um, I I did uh, I did go to the pub last weekend. Um, uh, I was on on Independence Day, of course, um, and it was yeah, it was a, a, quite a surreal experience, I must say. Um, a pleasant experience still, of course, and it was very nice to have some. Uh, some uh, some draft beer, you know, actually freshly poured pint. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was interesting to see how sort of things are getting back to normal to some degree. Mm. Um, it was interesting, you know, people are now sort of it's almost like table service in some degree in in, a, in one of the bars, uh, but you know, you pay immediately. So for every for every pint that you have, you know, the person's just carrying around a uh, carrying around a one of those card so machines. So no tabs or anything like that. Well, I mean, you, in theory, you could if you wanted to, or if you booked a table or something. But you can't go to the bar to order a pint. So right. instead, well, at, only at this establishment. This is, I'm sure, it's different for different pubs. Uh, I but think that was sort of the general rule: is that you're not really supposed to go and linger at the bar. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but so in this place, you, there was only ta table service, and you paid immediately. Um, right. So well, as soon as as soon as the as the the pints came back, then you know you'd you'd uh, contactless your card and then that would be it um but yeah and then but then it's different different for different pubs so it's interesting to see all the compromises that are being made when it comes to um you know the health and safety kind of aspect yeah. of it um but yeah it's uh it's, it's pretty it's interesting watching that over time interestingly you know one of our one of our uh, one of the things that actually started us uh, you know what began this podcast was us discussing weatherspoons and their incredible app that yeah. they've got they, that they have that would be that would you know that matches this environment so well where you're just sitting at your table you can order everything through the app 
and you can pay through the app. So you don't actually have the, you know, nothing needs to change hands apart from the, the goods and the, you know, the, the booze and, and the food, etc. cetera. Um, yeah. You know, interestingly, I saw that I think it's Young's, another of the big pub chains, yes. is coming out with an app now. Um, and I think they're selling it on that, on that sort of woo-flu fear uh, issue of not, you know, not interacting with people. Have you uh, heard about that? Yeah, I mean, like when you think about this long term, right, I think this is a positive development for, for pubs. Um, I don't know if the pub you were at has in, encouraged or was using a, an, an app ordering system, but no. I think this is absolutely going to change, uh, if not revolutionize, the very way that we interact and, and engage uh, with a, a, a pub, for, for example. So I think that we're going to see this become standard. It might not necessarily happen straight away because not all pubs have necessarily got um, the resources to just um, either buy or create an app for their users. Um, but I certainly think that we will be using apps to order from our tables. Uh, it's commonplace. You know, the, the, I don't, let, let me give you an example. The worst thing at the, in the world is when you go to a pub and you're, you're waiting to order and some Muppet uh, in front of you is ordering cocktails. And then, uh, you know, there are about three cocktails that they've ordered. The bar staff are making the cocktails and they're usually making them one by one. And then just as they finish and just as they're about to leave with their cocktails, they go, some, some one of their punter mates comes in and says, oh, I'll have one too. And so then another cocktail has to be made. And everyone that just wants a pint of beer at the bar goes, oh, you're kidding me. Whereas if that could be all done through an app-based system, effectively the bar staff could uh, far greater prioritize their time in terms of um, pouring the drinks, making the drinks and getting them out to particular tables. So I think that this whole idea of using apps to order at the pub is a, it's going to improve uh, the, uh, the effectiveness and, and quite possibly even the profitability of pubs um, when they look, even though there may be an initial outlay, I think the return on that investment long-term would pay itself off you know, multiple times over because it's a far more effective way to do it. And so then what that also makes you sort of think about is if we're starting to use things like apps with how we order drinks or food at a pub, what's the backend systems that make that happen as well? Because if you're going to pay through an app, there's also payment rails that exist within that app, that then send the money from your bank account through to the actual establishment that you're ordering it from. Um, and, you know, we touched on companies in the last few weeks like Wirecard and, and their spectacular fail. But Wirecard was effectively one of those kinds of back-end systems that enable payments through applications and through other um, forms of e-commerce. Oh, and yeah. so while, while they kind of don't really, aren't going to exist going forward, there are other companies out there that are going to facilitate that kind of payment between the consumer and the actual merchant through, through applications. And so that's where I think when we come out of COVID crisis and coronavirus and we learn to live with it and, you know, salons or whatever, and all these sorts of small businesses aren't having to undergo these crazy hardcore restrictions is that they'll start to leverage a little bit more technology perhaps than they initially might have done in the short term in terms of they'll start to realize that if you can use um, apps um, whether they be, um, you know, sort of more general apps like something like Just Eat, where you perhaps log into a, a an establishment when you get there, or whether they're native apps specific to that particular venue, that you will start to use it more because it improves, it quite possibly improves the customer experience when they go to that establishment or that merchant. And then it also helps the merchant be more effective uh, and efficient with their delivery of that service. Um, and also how they get paid, not having to deal with. Um, so obviously, you know, when you, um, when someone at the pub brings you out one of those um, payment terminals, right? There's a charge. You know, every time you tap your card, when they bring the wireless terminal to you, there's a charge, and there's a charge for that from the bank. There's a charge for having the the POS um, system. So there's a lot of intermediaries still that cause a lot of friction and cause a lot of cost. Um, whereas I think a lot of that can be eliminated through the use of technology like apps and app ordering uh, at places like pubs or even salons or nail bars and that sort of thing where you can sort of prepay or pay as you go and order through that to have a, a more effective customer experience. So, 
it's it's a weird situation now but i think as we come out of it we'll start to realize that there it's almost forced on us some opportunities that we perhaps hadn't thought about before and there will be investments in companies that do those things that either build the app or run the back-end systems that sort of bring that all together yeah uh it does sort of tie into that acceleration um at that accelerationist uh, impact of the woo flu in general, where all of these existing trends uh, have just been amplified. You know, they've just been brought forward a while Definitely. by yeah. by the lockdown. You know, you've got the uh, you've got internet doing well and the high street suffering. Uh, you've got, in some ways, um, in some ways, you're looking at you know if if you, do, you know, if you if you want to be really Machiavellian and you're looking at sort of the uh, the the health impacts of of the virus, you're looking at uh, it uh, being detrimental to the baby boomers and older and uh, effectively not not harming the, the millennials nearly as much. Um, you've got all of the, uh, you know, how that sort of changes the uh, sort of the, the wealth redistribution uh, just in general. Uh, you've got, yeah, it, it's all of these different uh, sort of trends and angles that seem to have been amplified a bit, by, you know, much more by sort of the app economy, the lack of cash, you know, cash was already being phased out, but then, you know, this happened and, you know, you couldn't give cash away to some degree in some of these places, especially when, you know, especially when lockdown first began, you know, nobody at all wanted anything to do with cash. You know, I, I only actually managed to encounter one of the, uh, one of those Turner, uh, you know, William Turner, the, the painter, 20 pound notes that were released in first release. Ah, in the February. new ones. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, only, I only saw some of those because uh, I actually decided to withdraw some money from an ATM. Uh, so I've only encountered those a few days ago. How primitive means, of you. Yeah, no, exactly, <laughs> right? Uh, and, you know, those those things have been out for months, allegedly. And it was just a few days ago that the first uh, Euros that had Christine Lagarde's signature on them were released. Uh, you know, interestingly, the image well, of they're them... They're not going to they retain were, their value, those. No, I, I wouldn't have thought so. Interestingly, they actually looked... They already look like they're 20 years old. It's a, it, was, it was a strange image that the ECB came out with. But it's just all of those trends... They were already in play. Were just amplified by uh, by this by this event. It's like it, it it it's less of a. It seems almost on a historical perspective less of a disruptor and more of an amplifier almost of these underlying issues. Um, but in terms of uh, in terms of the dodo, mate, what would be your rating for this beer? So I I enjoyed that immensely. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's one of the, that's certainly going to be up there for me. I mean, as I said, it's, it's very, it's very easy to drink. That's, and as I've used in the past, it's one of those kinds of beers where if I'd had taken a few round to a mate's place and hadn't necessarily drunk them all, uh, while I was there, I would make sure I went back to the fridge, got the ones I didn't drink and, and took them home with me. Cause I'd want to enjoy that again. Um, this I, 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 this is the kind of beer that I would love to see on tap uh, at at my pub, so that I could sit out in the beer garden uh, and enjoy these on a on a you know a day like I'm seeing out my window right now, which is an evening. It's uh, you know pretty pretty sunny out there, a couple of fluffy clouds, but warm enough that I'd sit outside and have a beer. And it's it's fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Four point six percent. It's not crazy heavy. It's not crazy uh, alcoholic. Tastes delightful. Uh, the the dodo for me is a it's it's not quite the triple b yet it, it hasn't completely blown my socks off but i'm gonna give the the dodo a double b plus damn sam you're uh it seems like you stole my rating for the first one and uh now i'm probably gonna steal yours i think double b plus <laughs> is yeah. uh like you say it's not it's not kind of as crazy adventurous enough for it to be triple b uh, you know, so it doesn't manage to do something really, really bold and pull it off really, really well. Uh, but what it does do, it does very, very well. Uh, it still, you know, it doesn't really taste like a double dry hop pale, pale ale to me, uh, mm. but it tastes really damn good, uh, I must say. So I think I, I'm going to give this one a double V plus. That was uh, the Dodo by Weird Beard Co. Uh, that is, um, you know, that's probably one of the highest ratings we've given for any beer here. Uh, and this is uh, this is also brewed in London, actually, for that for that matter. Um, and with a pretty crazy, crazy can, so it's got a sort of a skeleton of a dodo, um, and with the with a weird beard uh, logo as well on top. Not uh, generally, they're slightly crazier. Maybe it's more with their bottles rather than with with the cans. As I said, I haven't seen too many of their cans actually on the go. But I must say that was as a fantastic beard. 
But uh, in terms of, uh, sort of wrapping this up, Sam, do you have any closing comments for this week's booze, booms and busts? Yeah, look, I think it's, you know, when you look at the markets over this week, it's, it's been almost, it's almost been boring, if that makes sense, is that, you know, it's, it's again, it's been a crazy week of some real volatility, some stocks that have shot the lights out and then, you know, come back down. You know, we see this, this, this ongoing thread of uncertainty, volatility, and you know, different parts of the world still dealing with the different impacts of lockdowns and the coronavirus and, and all of that. But I think people are now, particularly in the UK here, you seem, I seem to get the, the feeling that the, they see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think the, the, even the symbolic nature of opening pubs and letting people, again, return to that sort of environment is a significant step forward in our way out of this. And I think that that's going to continue to create opportunities for investors and probably more importantly, mean that everybody can just start enjoying their beer a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way of rounding it up. Uh, in terms of, you know, this week has been pretty interesting. Uh, on the on the US-China side, you've seen uh, there's been the uh, the US State Department has been sanctioning, well, and the US Treasury actually has been sanctioning a lot of the CCP individuals, uh, CCP members uh, who've been involved in the uh, crimes against humanity in Xinjiang, which I was... Uh, you know, quite, quite pleased to see at least it looks like some kind of progress on that. Um, and then at the same time, you've got this crazy, well, you know, it's all the, the dichotomy is the uh, crazy mainland Chinese stock market really just going mad at the same time. You know, possibly that's a, uh, possibly there's manipulation going on there, but it's very interesting to see. Uh, but in terms of uh, you know, just sort of the overall, overall macro theme this week, uh, interestingly, actually, on that, on that last point we were talking about with the pubs, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, but the FT have done a pretty deep dive on one of the major players at Wirecard. Uh, I think it was the chief operations officer who turns out he was actually involved in, uh, or at least was trying to create an army of mercenaries to patrol the border in Libya, you know, just in his free time while wow. he was COO of Wirecard. Wow. Uh, it seems like there's uh, quite, quite a lot of stories to be told out of Wirecard, which we'll, uh, which we'll uncover in due course. But yeah, I think, uh, I think that rounds it up for today, Sam. Um, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll end it there. But uh, if you are listening to this, thank you very much for listening to another episode, episode five. We made it to five of made Booze, five. Booms and Busts. It's a, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good so far. So I think we'll carry on with doing with this. I'm uh, in terms of... Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think in terms of what we'll drink next week, I think we should probably put that on our uh, on our Twitter feed ahead of time. If you are interested in actually trying these at the same time as we do, so I think uh, we'll we'll figure out what we're going to drink ahead of time, put it on yep, the Twitter good feed, idea. and then uh, and then if you are interested, you can see if you can order a couple of those in ahead of time, uh, and we could uh, we could probably drink them drink them all at the same time. But that's all yeah, for I think, this. Um, I was going to say, so we might just okay. maybe decide on Monday, perhaps, and uh, we'll get that out on Monday. What uh, what we're going to drink next, and then yeah. People can order that uh, and drink with us as we talk. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be perfect. Yeah. But that is all for this week. Uh, if you are listening to this, hope you have a very good weekend. Or if you're listening later than that, hope you're having a very good week at that point. Uh, but that's all from <laughs> us, and we shall be back again next week.